You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Dearest Heavenly Father, God, as we, as we talk about parenting, I pray that you will join and lead this conversation, God, because you have introduced yourself through the lens of parenting. You've asked us to call you Father. And so I pray that you will bless this discussion today. In your name, amen. Today we're going to talk about modeling discipleship, what it, what it looks like to model that to our kids. Um, we are saved through relationship. If you have your Bibles with you, um, I invite you to look at John chapter 15. We talked about Deuteronomy 6 yesterday, but John chapter 15 has become one of my favorite passages. Here Jesus is talking to his disciples. He knows that the cross is around the corner, and he's making sure that he is passing on everything they need to know. Um, John chapter 14, he is talking about the second coming, the need for the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 15, starting with verse 4, abide in me, as I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now we often don't think about that for parenting, but it's judgment language, isn't it? It's the dividing line between those who are saved and those who are not is what? Abiding in him. We often complicate salvation, but it, it doesn't have to be that complicated because here you are, you're sinful being, here Jesus is, perfect being, already died, and when you abide in him, you're covered. We're saved through that relationship. When we abide in him and him in us, it's what saves us. And yesterday we looked at Deuteronomy 6, and what we want to pass on to our kids is that relationship, right? We want them to see the relationship we have. We want them to want it for themselves. We want them to have that saving relationship with Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, passing relationships on is tricky. So the first step to leading our kids into a relationship with Christ is having that relationship with Christ. Because you can't share what you don't have. How, I mean, you could never introduce someone to someone who you don't already know. It just gets weird and awkward. I think I've tried it. So we're not perfect. And we talked about this yesterday. We're going to talk about it every day because we are not perfect models. And even though... Um, like it said in Deuteronomy 6, we're on duty all the time, right? And everywhere. Um, it's a lot to live up to, and we're not perfect. So how, how do we balance that? Well, one of the things that we have to do is we have to remember that our kids are also imperfect. It's pretty easy to remember um, for most parents, 
right? Um, it's easy for us to notice that our children aren't perfect. And so um, we can teach them how to be imperfect humans in a humble way. So we model humility. We admit when we're wrong. Um, we, we show how to apologize to others. We show how to take responsibility for our actions um, when we make mistakes or when we, when we mess up. We show them how to try to heal the relationships that we've injured and, um, and also repair the breach with God as, um, as best we can as imperfect humans. Um, and, and my friend Emily said, um, one time, and I asked her if I could share it, and now I share it all the time. She said, our children don't need us to be perfect. They need us to point them to the perfect God that we are seeking to know. And that's the thing. We don't have to be perfect. We just need to keep pointing our kids to God um, because he, like, like Ben said, he's the one who's covered us with his perfection, right? And so we need our kids to be depending on him, I'm not trying to live up to perfection on their own, but abide in him. And the way we do that is by doing it ourselves. Um, so we've got to model that to our kids. Now, I was supposed to share this story at the beginning, but my mind doesn't always work that way. But one of the things that makes this easier is our kids, they want to be like us, don't they? I, I think about my oldest, Emmett, when he was really young, he used to go with me to the church on a pretty regular basis, and at Pioneer Memorial Church, there's a tiny door that goes under the baptistry in the back hallway where the offices are, and he decided that was his office. And so he would, one day another pastor was passing by, and he informed him, please come into my office, we, we can have a meeting. And... Another day, he was, it was about lunchtime, and he all of a sudden got dressed. He put on a pair of shoes. He was standing at the door, and we said, where, where are you going? He said, got a lunch meeting today. And if I'm out mowing the lawn, he's there with his little lawnmower just going right behind me. Why? Because our kids, they naturally want to be just like us, especially at that young age. They do grow out of it. And that is exciting and terrifying because I don't always want to be just like me. And I definitely don't always want to raise boys that are just like me. So I like what Brianna was saying. Like we, It's not about us being perfect, but it's about us pointing them to that perfect God. But every relationship we have is based on relationships we've seen. Like, we learn relationships differently than we learn anything else in life. It is not information knowledge. If you think about the relationships in your life, you've learned them, you've modeled them after relationships you've seen. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Like, your relationship with your spouse is based on the relationships you grew up with, your parents' relationship, 
the relationships you saw. And that doesn't mean that we do everything exactly the same way, but it's still based on that because some things you might say, I want to do that just like my mom and my dad. But also you might say, well, I do not want to do that like mom and dad did, but you're still basing it on that relationship. Does that make sense? And so not only do we need to model healthy relationships with our spouse for our kids so that they understand what a healthy relationship looks like, but we also need to model our relationship with God. So um, first we're going to talk about modeling human relationships because that's important. Um, and Ben touched on it a little bit. We're modeling relationships with our spouse if we have one. We're modeling relationships with the other humans that we interact with on a daily basis. Um, a lot of times we think about modeling good relationships as like, you know, in the home, um, but it also occurs outside of the home, right? When you're home, when you are away. Um, and, and so it means the cashier, it means the person who cut you off in traffic, it means, you know, your, your child's teacher or, um, you know, the, the, the guy who mows your lawn or fixes your plumbing or whatever. It, it means all of these human relationships that we have. If we want our kids to know how to navigate the world like a person who has a relationship with God, then we've got to navigate the world like a person who has a relationship with God. And that means um, modeling positive relationships and um, and um, being respectful to the other people around us. Um, so that means um, teaching our kids to disagree respectfully. So practicing disagreeing respectfully um, with spouses, with each other, um, with other family members and the people that we meet. Um, even the person on the phone after you've been waiting on hold for three hours with, you know, electric company or whoever, um, modeling these relationships and disagreeing respectfully. Even, even the people you communicate with online, we, we could probably be respectful there too. That's true. Um, teaching kids that you apologize when necessary. Um, we're very free um, as a people to make our kids apologize when they do something wrong. Um, but often we don't feel a need to apologize for the things that we do wrong necessarily as adults. Um, and that sometimes means apologizing to your kids. Um, and I know a lot of people um, respond and they say, you know what, I'm not gonna apologize to my child. She's a child, he's a child, I'm an adult. Well, that doesn't absolve you from your responsibility to take responsibility. Um, so when you hurt your child, intentionally or unintentionally, when you do something, um, when you handle something in a way that you shouldn't have handled it, how is your child going to learn to apologize in a heartfelt way if you don't apologize to them in a heartfelt way when it's important to do that? So, um, you know, having that attitude, that doesn't mean that you, you don't have parental authority in your home. Um, it's, it's servant leadership. Um, and we have to be willing to humble ourselves and say, you know what, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I should not have yelled. I should not have, you know, whatever it is. I should have listened when you said 
this because you were right. And it's hard for us to do that. I mean, at least for me, it's hard. Um, it gets easier <laughs> with practice, um, but it also, um, it really builds that connection. And we have to have a strong connection and relationship with our kids if we want to model strong connections and relationships. Um, we have to show empathy and compassion. Um, I will be the first to admit that I don't always empathize with my children. I don't always understand what's going on. You know, um, my oldest especially has a tendency toward hysterics over things that I don't always understand. And so it's like, what I don't understand, what's the big deal, you know? But, but it's important and it means a lot to him when we just slow down and we say, that must be really hard. I'm sorry, that's really frustrating for you. I can see that's really frustrating for you. Um, he can feel that we're at least making an effort to try to understand, even if we don't fully understand. Um, and how good does it make you feel when your friends, when your family members, when your spouse shows empathy to you? Um, and, and empathy is something that kids have to kind of build um, and if we don't model it for them, that makes it harder for them to understand how to demonstrate it. So we've got to show them. Um, and not just to our kids, but to everybody in our lives. Um, so showing empathy and compassion. When somebody is clearly having a rough day, you don't say, hmm, they woke up on the wrong side of the bed, you know. It's easy to just kind of make these comments about people that don't, aren't really major players in our lives. But if we instead try to intentionally model empathy, you know what, that person, it seems like they're having a really rough day. So that's why I tried to just smile at them and said, it's okay, even though it took <laughs> longer than I wanted to in, in line or whatever. Um, if we can try to show empathy and compassion uh, to the people around us, it really helps. And then serve. Um, take time out of our lives to serve each other. And whether that means something really small, like, like I don't know, having dinner ready when at the end of a long day or, or um, you know, just offering to hold the door for somebody who's struggling or helping somebody load their groceries into their trunk if you see that somebody in the parking lot who's having a bit of trouble. Um, Showing our kids how to be of service to others in a cheerful way um, really goes a long way to modeling positive human relationships. And that helps form connections, and only through connection can we pass on relationships. And so we, wanna, we want to model um, all of these um, behaviors that help us to have strong human relationships. Also, you want your kids to see your relationship with God. I don't completely know what it is about our culture, but for some reason, talking about God is kind of taboo. And we also kind of feel like, well, it's, it's the pastor's responsibility. That doesn't work. It doesn't work for a few reasons. First of all, you want your kids to have a devotional life, right? They're not going to see the pastor's devotional life. If you want them to have a devotional life, you've got to let them see yours, which gets tricky 
in all fairness, because it's easier to get up before your kids in, in the quiet and be able to read the Bible and be able to focus, and that's easier, but it's important for your kids to see you reading the Bible. It's important for your kids to see you praying so that even though you're not saying, like, this is important, they are seeing that this is important. They're seeing this is who, how, like, my mom or my dad is shaped. This is how they become the person they are by, by that time. And your kids pay attention. They connect the dots when they haven't seen you have that devotional life that morning and you have a rough day. They'll put it together before you, usually. And that's good. You want them to see that. And I think sometimes we think that modeling means that we have to be perfect all the time, but it's actually, we want them to see the highs and the lows. We want them to see our failures. We want, I mean, when you read through the Bible, it's the stories of victories and failures, isn't it? That's what we want our kids to see so that they can start learning from some of our mistakes. And so, have your devotional life with your kids there. It's going to be a little bit trickier. Start, if I'm reading the Bible, I ask my boys, would you want me to read out loud? And every single time they say yes. And so, the devotional life turns into, like, us doing it together. And that's good because that way, not only are they seeing like you're reading the Bible, but they start seeing like, how do you ask questions of the Bible? How, how do you go deeper? And they start building that foundation for that relationship. One thing I love about young kids is they are keyed into relationships, aren't they? I mean, I work at Ruth Murdoch Elementary School a lot, and it takes about an entire year to build a relationship with a 7th or 8th grader. But a kindergarten student, you walk in and before they know your name, they want a hug. Like, they, are, they long for relationships. They want those relationships. And so, they also want that relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, at that age, building that foundation, letting them... See, this is how, and unfortunately, I think so often our children's programming kind of simplifies that, and they don't get to plant those roots and learn how to actually have that devotional life, how to ask the questions, how to go deeper, how to have the relationship. And that's what we want to model for our kids. We have a few tips about teaching kids to do their own devotions. And um, when we're talking about this, you know, realize our kids are three and five, um, so they're very young. But with older kids, um, the same principles apply, but it's going to take longer to um, probably see the fruits of, of your modeling um, with the older your kids get, right? Because it just takes a little bit longer to build that connection. Um, but let them see you study, like Ben said. And that doesn't mean that you don't ever get that peaceful, quiet hour um, when you wake up early, but do a little more when they can see you. 
Um, that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't mean that you can never do that, you know, really true personal Bible study. Um, but that, um, that you are showing them what it means and saying, you know what, it's okay to teach the kids. You know what, you need to be a little bit quiet right now. I'm studying my Bible. Now, don't do that and make them sit still for, you know, an hour and a half while you're studying your Bible, because that's really hard for young kids. Um, but, but show them what you're doing and that you love it and that it's important to you. Um, and this, something else I think, I just realized, I always say personal Bible study because that's um, one of the terms of common language that we use in our family. We, we do personal Bible study first thing in the morning, before breakfast, before anything else. All four of us do personal Bible study. And so we always use that term because our kids know exactly what we mean. Um, and it's different than family worship. So, um, so it's, um, that's the term that we use. But it helps to have common language, especially with young kids, so they always know exactly what you're talking about. Um, but you talk to them about your personal Bible study. You say, hmm, you know what? We share over breakfast a lot. What did you read in your personal Bible study today? And we'll share, you know, oh, I read about King David and how he wanted to build a beautiful temple for God. And, you know, and the kids will ask us questions and, um, and trust me, you don't want to be the adult at the dinner table or at the breakfast table when your kid says, what did you do for personal Bible study today? You don't want to say, oh, I didn't do my personal Bible study today. You know, so, um, so it helps. Um, we, we have particularly... Um, we have good accountability partners. <laughs> yes. Our kids are very good accountability partners. So, um, uh, and, and you can offer to help them with their own personal Bible study in their own Bible. So I think when Emmett was two and a half, he started doing personal Bible study, not every single day, but when he, he would, he started by, like Ben said, asking us to read ours aloud when he would see us studying. He'd get up on our laps and we'd read to him and he'd, you know, chime in a little bit. And then he wanted to do his own. So we got him his own little personal Bible study Bible, and we would read just a few verses every day. Because when you're, doing, when you're doing this with young kids, you have to be realistic about, you know, attention span and what they're going to take in. And um, so it was just a few verses a day. But we'd read them, we'd talk about them, we'd pray, and that was it. It wasn't, you know, it doesn't need to be a big, long thing. And in fact, it's better if it isn't. And the same thing, if you're starting from scratch, with an older child who doesn't have this habit, don't start by saying, you know, you gotta read your Bible for 30 minutes a day, or you gotta read your Bible, you know, a chapter, or whatever you can hold their interest with. And, you know. Yeah, I mean, remember, relationships always start small. Like, when you think about your best friend, when you first met, you don't dive into let's spend all day together. That grows. And so let those personal Bible studies grow the same way. You want them to enjoy it. You want them to find that to be a critical part of their day that they don't want to miss. And so you've got to be intentional about building that and building that foundation so it's something that they want to come back to. Yeah, and, and the, 
And if you can do it at the same time every day, just like anything, um, it, if it becomes a, a part of your routine that everybody is just planned to do, then it's, it's easier to not forget. It's easier, especially at the beginning when, you know, the, the motivation ne isn't necessarily internalized yet, right? We, we all want to be internally motivated and we want our kids to be internally motivated to do something like we're not handing out jelly beans for, you know, every time you read a Bible verse, that's external motivation. You want to be you want your kids to be internally motivated, but it takes some time to build a habit. And so if you can put it at the same part of the day, every day, maybe the morning doesn't work for your family, but maybe the evening does. There's no rule that your personal Bible study time or your kid's personal Bible study time has to be in the morning. It works for our family. It, do what works for yours. But if you build it into part of the day, we don't do this until we've done this. Um, it's so much easier to build a habit and then it becomes internalized. It becomes an important part of the day. And now we really can't have breakfast without personal Bible study um, in our house. You know, um, it's, it's important and it's special. And if you're, if you're looking for like, where's a good place to start with my kids? Maybe you're wondering, where's a good place to start with me? And that, that's okay, too. Start with those books that are packed with stories. The Gospel of Mark, I mean, it just jumps into action. And it is story after story. The word immediately, it just flows through that book because it is one thing after another. That is a great place to start with kids, teenagers, or ourselves. Also, the Old Testament... First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings are incredible stories. Um, Judges also is a lot of stories, but maybe, maybe wait on that one until they're older. There's there's some intense stories, but just we are drawn to stories, and so if that's going to make them want more than just a couple verses, because they're going to want to know how the story ends. They're going to want to come back the next day to find out. Okay. So what happens? So those books are great places to start as they're building those relationships. Yeah, and even they'll, they'll make connections later on now. Emmett is five and a half now. He's been doing personal Bible study daily for three, almost three years now probably. Um, and now he can read on his own well enough to, to read it by himself. He usually chooses to read it with us still. Um, we still give him the option, but we're trying to transition him slowly so that he can do it by himself. And we talk about, you know, he reads part of the chapter to me and I read the rest to him. And we're, because we say, we want you to be able to do this by yourselves. You need to be able to do personal Bible study without mommy and daddy. That's what makes it personal. Um, but it's transition. With, with young kids, you're going to be transitioning. And with older kids, if you're starting from scratch with an older child, you're going to need to transition them as well. Um, and so whatever, you know, whatever looks, seems right for, for that child, you have the relationship with them, you're going to know them best. Um, you can transition that. But Emmett has read First and Second Samuel, and he loves David. He loves the stories of David and the Bible. And, and that led to him choosing that his book of the Bible that he's reading through now in his personal Bible studies is Psalms. And because he knows that David wrote a lot of Psalms. 
And so now he kind of has put the connection um, of how David was feeling when certain things were happening in his life and what the songs, the psalms that he wrote were like. And the other day, um, Arlo and Emmett were playing with their grandfather and their favorite game, well, Arlo's favorite game right now is put people in prison. He loves that. So Grampy was in prison, sadly. And Emmett said, Grampy. This is not something we model to him, by the no, way. No, it's... Um, but he just loves prison for some reason. So um, it must be Paul and Silas. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but Grampy never gets an angel to break him out. He has to wait till dinner time. So um, Emmett said, Grampy, I'm sorry you're in prison. And he said, I know what will make you feel better. And he got out his Bible and he started reading Psalms of Comfort to my dad um, in prison. And I just thought, you know, we didn't really explicitly treat, teach him that, but he learned that the Psalms were comforting and that's David wrote them. Um, when he was, you know, when he was going through rough times, he wrote, he wrote songs crying out to God for comfort. And so, um, I just, when you can start after a while, it takes a while, but you can start to see these concepts building in our kids. And even very young kids are capable of understanding more than we give them credit for a lot of times if we're building daily habits. And one of those things that you want to do when you're doing those personal Bible studies is sometimes when it comes to studying the Bible, and this is not just our kids, our kids do it well, but we have been doing it well for a long time, and that is we treat our devotional life, our personal Bible studies as a checklist. Like, okay, done that, I've read my one chapter. Read your Bible until you found your anchor for the day. Until you found something that, okay, I'm going to hold on to this. This is going to get me through the day. Make sure that you do that. And with your kids, the way you model that, even when you're just doing a few verses, is you make sure, okay, in these verses, how does this apply to your life? So that they are connecting the word to their own life. Because if you don't do that leap, we keep the Bible as just information, and we cut its power to transform. The Word of God is powerful. He created the universe through His Word. He took nothing and turned it into something with His Word, and His Word has the ability to change our lives if we let it. And so we need to make sure that our devotional life is deep enough that we're seeing those changes. And we model that by making sure that they're seeing how does this connect with my life each and every day. And that, that's important because, I mean, if kids, they're trying to figure out the patterns. And so, like, if they learn a good prayer, they will pray that prayer over and over and over again. And they learn, I mean, you watch any children's story, they've learned that the answer to pretty much every question is Jesus. And they will 
answer that. And like they're looking for these patterns and they'll at first when you start trying to figure out how to apply, they'll try to figure out like, okay, what is the magic set of words that works every time? Arlo's three and a half. And every day he says, we say, what, it, what does this story teach us about, about God? Or how does this help you? And he always says, God loves us and takes care of us. It's like, well, yeah, it's true. But, you know, he's still in that early stage. He's three and a half. And so sometimes we have to walk our kids to the point of the story. Um, and that's okay. And you might have to do that with older kids for a while. You offer the support that they need to get there. Um, and they'll start getting there more easily on their own gradually. Yeah, but just making sure we're not missing that application. Okay, so um, again, the teacher in me comes out. We're talking about hidden curriculum. So um, at school, the curriculum is, you know, what the conference or the state standards or, or whatever says that you have to teach, right? But the hidden curriculum is all of those extra things that you're teaching without necessarily teaching. It's not in the textbook. It's not in the standards, but you're teaching it. It's things like how to line up. It's things like, you know, how to share materials and how to raise your hand quietly and wait for the teacher to call on you and things like that. Well, there's hidden curriculum in the family, too. Um, we're modeling to our children all of the time, even when we're not being intentional. So it's great to be intentional, but you've got to remember that even when you're not being intentional, you're still showing your kids. Your kids are learning from you. They don't know, okay, mommy and daddy are really intentionally trying to teach me what is right right now. And then right now, oh, no, they're not on duty. They're not really trying to teach me, so I'm not going to learn this. They don't have a switch that turns on and off. They're learning from us all the time, whether we're being intentional about it or not. Um, and, and they might start um, showing those behaviors that we're unintentionally teaching them. Um, I remember when I, was, when I was pregnant with Arlo, Emmett was very little, and he was about, I don't know, I want to say a year and a half old, and I had terrible morning sickness. It was awful. And um, one, of those, one of those days, because uh, really morning had nothing to do with it, it was just sickness. Um, but one of those days I had been reading to Emmett on the couch because that was one thing that I could do pretty well. And I just, I knew that I only had about 15 seconds to make it to the bathroom before I lost my breakfast. And so I ran, and Emmett thought that was really fun, so he ran too. Um, and I leaned over, and I lost everything. And Emmett, I looked up, and there was Emmett, smiling so big at me. And then he leaned over, and he made the same noise I had just made, and then looked up and smiled, and he was like, Mommy, do it again. You know, he was just having the best time playing that game with me. I, I wasn't trying to teach him anything. Obviously, that, wasn't the la that was the last thing on my mind. But we're always on duty, right? And so I realized that having a cheerful spirit, in, even in the midst of that morning sickness, was important. 
Um, I didn't always manage it, but um, we have, we've got to think about, um, are we showing the fruits of the Spirit even when we're not being intentional, even when our, our minds aren't fixed on what am I teaching my kids right now? And none of us can be focused on that 100% of the time. But having that devotional life, having that relationship with God is so important because we've got to, we've got to, be, um, we've got to be modeling um, what we want our kids to be modeling even when we're not really working hard at it. Um, because you do have to think about other things sometimes, right? And our brains can only handle so much focusing at once. So, And I think this also is where it goes back to what we were talking about before, our, our need to acknowledge when we messed up. I think it's more important to be transparent with our kids than perfect. To say, you know what, this morning I did not do well at that. I did not react well. I did not say the things I wished I had have said. And so they're learning that that wasn't okay. Because the last thing we want to do is teach them, like, you know, this is, this is how we want to behave. We need to just keep in mind, too, that transparency with our kids doesn't mean that we lay everything out and put everything on their shoulders. They can't handle all of the burdens that you as an adult have. So that means being transparent about the things that are affecting them, about the things that, you know, they've witnessed from you. Um, you, you don't need to lay out all of your, you know, personal shortcomings and, you know, those of your friends and family yeah. on your children's shoulders. But being yeah. transparent about your struggles in, in a way that, that teaches your children. Um, your kids do not need to be your therapist, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> so if, if we're going to be intentional, then you've got to take a step back and say, what, what are the values that we want to pass on to our kids? What, what are those core values that we want to make sure we're instilling. And in order for you to do that, then you've got to sit down and figure out what are our core values. And this is one of those things that we often don't do. We, we have this kind of nebulous idea, but if, if we're talking about being intentional about passing something down, then you've got to move from that nebulous to concrete. And so here are some examples of family core values, and there's, there's a lot of them on the screen here. But um, spiritual and religious values, love for God, love for all people, Sabbath observance, belief in the Bible, active church participation, personal Bible study, regular family worship, tithing, environmental stewardship, financial stewardship, bodily stewardship, home values, sharing meals, quality family time, character values, integrity, honesty, grit, positivity, courage, kindness, civic values, understanding rights, others' rights, freedom for all, social values, acceptance, respect, politeness, appropriate language, service to others, 
work values, punctuality, education, training, doing one's best, and cooperation. And as you look at this list, I mean, it's a lot of different values. It's not complete, is it? I mean, if all of those, you, you could think like, oh, I'd like to add this, this, and this. But also, if you try to pass on all of this to your kids, it, it gets a little bit like, okay, which, which one are we focusing on today? And so... Yep. Being intentional about all of these things all the time, every day, yeah, it's a little much, isn't it? <laughs> but what you can do is summarize these and just sort of, I mean, if you think about, like, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbors yourself. And in those two, he encapsulated the entire Ten Commandments, didn't he? But also encapsulates this. And so teaching our kids, we love God, we love our family, and we love others. We love ourselves. Teaching them those things. Now, how does that play out? Well, it gives you the opportunity to say, well, we brush our teeth because we love ourselves. We want to take care of ourselves. And so it, and you find that all of these things play into that. We pay our tithe because we love God and that's what he's asked us to do. And so it kind of creates that framework for introducing all of these other things along the way, but those core things that you want to make sure that you instill in your kids is that love for God, love for family, love for others, and love for self. Yeah, and sometimes, um, you know, we would recommend that you sit down if you, you know, you have a spouse or other caregivers that are taking care of your kids, that you sit down and you actually kind of list these things out. Um, you know, first, the first step would be to make a more comprehensive list, kind of like this one. Um, and you can organize it any way you want. It doesn't have to look like that list at all. Um, but if you make a more comprehensive list and then kind of, you know, when we did ours, we kind of circled things together that seemed to go together. And that, then we made it much more simple. Love God. Love each other. Or love, love your family. Love others. And love yourself. And so all of the things, you know, sort of fell into that category, those categories. And that's a lot easier to teach our kids than saying every night before bed or, you know, whatever, every day, you know, our family has love for God. We observe this, you know, we do all those things or we do our best, right, to do all these things. But, but we talk about the simple version um, so if you sit down and you list out, you know, all of the, the values that you think of, and then it sometimes helps to look at someone else's list um, because, you know, something you say, oh, I do actually value that. I just didn't think of it myself. So it helps sometimes to look at lists, and um, you're welcome to have our list, um, and there are other lists available too. But um, 
But when you do that, sometimes you realize, oh, you know, sometimes we say that we value things that our lifestyle or our routines show that we don't actually value because we don't prioritize them in our schedules or in the way that we execute them. Um, and so sometimes sitting down and doing this intentionally and really actually putting it on paper helps you to, to do some realization of saying, you know what, I value this, or I say that I value this, but in my life I'm not actually showing that I value this. So what changes can I make um, in how I prioritize things? And, and that goes back a little bit to what we said yesterday about cutting through the noise and, and you know just thinking, okay, what's going to get me to this goal. And you're going to want to build a list of family values that works toward that main goal of helping our kids to have a saving relationship with Jesus, right? And so if something doesn't support that, then it doesn't need to be a huge priority in your life. And the family core values is also really important as you're sort of thinking through what is the hidden curriculum? What are the things that we're unintentionally teaching our kids? And you can start running those things through this. Is, is that what we want to teach? I mean, if one of your core values is we as a family, we're, because we love ourselves, we are going to be healthy. But then you look at what's on the dinner table day after day and you realize, you know, maybe that's not actually what we're teaching. And so it's one of those ways that you can sort of take an inventory of what is it that we're passing on versus what it, we desire or want to pass on to our kids. And it's, it's really easy because, I mean, when I told Ben that I wanted to sit down and make a list of family core values, um, you know, Ben was like, well, I mean, I feel like we're on the same page, and I felt like that too. And so it was kind of like, well, what's the point? Because we already, we know we have the same values because we've, we've talked about it and we both think about these things a lot. Um, we're pretty intentional. But when we put it on paper, it really did help us a lot. Um, so even if you think you're pretty intentional, sometimes just putting things down on paper really helps solidify something or it helps you realize um, a difference between your thinking and your actual doing. Um, just that act of putting something on paper helps you to uh, make it a little more solid. So, And when you're thinking about being intentional, making sure that you're passing on that relationship with Jesus Christ, one of the biggest ways we pass on relationships is through stories. I mean, think about the stories you tell your kids, the stories of your childhood, the stories of your friends, your family, the story of how you and your spouse met. All of these stories are for the goal of passing on relationships. So tomorrow, we're going to talk about how to tell the stories. So we hope that you come back then, but now, are there, are there any questions, anything? Hold, hold on just a second. We're gonna, Sorry, we've got a mic today. So. We, we got mildly chided yesterday <laughs> for not miking the questions, so we're not going to make the same mistake. We 
we were talking about personal Bible, Bible study. What about personal devotional books and all the materials we can buy? Is that a good idea for kids or? So those, those devotional books, those are good. Um, yeah, yeah. Disciples or yeah, no, there, there are lots of great resources out there. And again, those, those are good first steps. But all of those, the goal is to get them into the Word. Um, another thing that take into account is find a version of the Bible that they understand that they're able to connect with. And we'll talk more about that tomorrow. But yeah, um, there are lots of great resources, but it's, it's about building that. And it, it does take a little bit of time. But So in our family, um, we use the Bible for personal Bible study. Um, although for our youngest, we still use like the Sabbath school lesson. Um, just because he's not, we were already on the Bible at this point in Emmett's life, but they're, they're different, different children. Yes. So, um, you know, do what works, do what works. But, um, but the goal is to get kids into reading the Bible because I know personally, although I knew, um, all my life that I should have a personal devotional life, I didn't develop a habit of reading my actual Bible until I was quite a bit older, um, because I just never made that transition. And I think a lot of adults haven't ever made that transition even. And so the younger that you can start, the better. But if they're not getting anything out of reading just the Bible yet, then, then wait, because you want to build a connection and you want to build um, you know, an enjoyable practice. Um, and it's a discipline, right? It's a discipline of, of studying your Bible. So you want to build that um, carefully and thoughtfully. In our house, we use um, Bible storybooks and devotional things. We use that for our family worship time, usually in the evening when our kids are a little more tired and um, because sometimes it's a little bit faster moving and a little, um, yeah, that's, that's just what we've done in our family. So we use our, our Bible or Sabbath school lesson in the morning, and we use um, a Bible storybook, and we'll talk more about our, some of our favorites, um, Bible storybooks or devotionals um, in the evening. Sometimes it's hard to be transparent with your kids when you seem to mess up every single day. They think, oh, mommy can't even get it, keep it together. You know, if you keep saying, oh, I'm sorry, it's grumpy today again. Sorry, I mean, does that discourage them or just tell them that's the way life is? Or? I mean, here, here's the thing. Whether we tell them or not, they're aware. Like, they know when we're grumpy. Um, and so us acknowledging it is us saying, this isn't okay behavior. Like, I'm not okay with it. But also, it helps them understand we all have rough days. And so by acknowledging it is a form of empathy because they also are going to have those days and they feel more understood when they realize mom and dad have this too. And so it, and again, I mean, it's that balance between acknowledging and treating them as your therapist. You do not want to say like, oh, mommy's having some dark thoughts today. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't, don't do that. And it's easy, 
It's easy to do when we have a rough day and they're the people we're with every moment. It's easy to overshare some of those things that we don't need to burden them with. They're not the person you talk to about your frustrations with your spouse. But they are like, they are paying attention and they recognize those times. And so acknowledging it validates what they're seeing and it's, it's healthy. Yeah, and, and it takes a lot of the mystery out of it because I know when I am having a rough day, you know, you don't have to apologize for, for feeling sad or for feeling grumpy. You have to apologize if you're sad and you're grumpy and you yell at your kids for no reason or if you yell at your kids for a reason but you still shouldn't have yelled at them, you know. Um, that's what you apologize for, the behavior, not the feeling, because they need to know it's okay to feel sad, and this is how you handle feeling sad, or it's okay to feel grumpy, it's okay to be frustrated, that's frustrating, but this is how we handle it. And Bami was frustrated, and I did not handle it the way I should have, did I? They already know I'm frustrated. And it takes a lot of the mystery out of things sometimes when we say, I'm having a rough day today. It's not because of you. Because a lot of times our kids think that when we're frustrated, we're frustrated with them. And sometimes we are, but sometimes we're not. Um, sometimes I'm sad because I just got a hard phone call and I can't share that with them, but I can tell them I'm just feeling a little bit sad. I got some bad news. It's not about you. You know, I'll feel better later, but Right now, I just am a little bit sad. And that takes a lot of the mystery out of it. I mean, especially our older son, he's very, um, he, he feels our feelings very deeply, even when we don't tell him what we're feeling, and he worries about it. You know, was it me? Is everything going to be okay? He doesn't know if he's safe, you know? And so we have to, we have to share, because otherwise he worries too much. But, but kids are so observant, they know. Any other questions? I, I just want to comment on uh, what, what if, what if uh, you, you, you spoke about sharing with your kids. What if you had a shameful past and how would you share that with you? That, that's difficult. I, I don't know if we're necessarily going to get into that tomorrow. But personally, it, it isn't easy. Like, I, I've been divorced. Brianna's my second wife, and figuring out when, when to talk to the boys about this. And I preached about it actually at Pioneer last summer, and so I felt like, you know, I probably shouldn't have them hear about this from the pulpit. I feel like that's going to be awkward for them. Um, but it, it is that, that balance, because our goal isn't ever to glorify sin, but in sharing, sharing those stories, I think the important thing that we have to remember is our ultimate goal always is that saving relationship with Jesus. So how do I share my story to lead them to him? And, and I mean, you know, waiting to an age-appropriate point you know, makes a lot of sense. It really depends on your story, when your kids are going to be ready to hear it. But you don't want them to hear it from someone else. And you, you will want them to understand how Jesus 
saved you and redeemed you. You know, if you have, if you have something that you're ashamed of in your past, um, you know, chances are our kids will find out about it sometime. And so um, taking control of, you know, how that story is shared um, is a good thing to do. So thinking about it and praying about it and asking the Holy Spirit to, to let you know when that opportunity is, um, I think is an important part of it. Um, and just thinking, you know, you don't want to lay something on children that they're not ready to handle, uh, you know, at a too young of an age. But again, you know, it wouldn't have been okay for Ben, you know, for Arlo probably wouldn't have noticed, but Emmett would have been really pretty hurt and surprised to find out about Ben's divorce um, while his dad was preaching it from the pulpit. So we knew we had to talk to him about it before that. Um, And so, I mean, it's just kind of a balance and thinking about the age of your child, what their their maturity level, and then um, framing the story um, as part of your journey with Jesus. When you have the kids' personal devotion times in the morning and you are reading it with them, now do you split it up and you do one child and he do another, or is it both on is on you for both of them? Um, well, it really depends on the All day. All of the above. Yeah. <laughs> so most often, I think we split it up. Um, like I said, Emmett's a little more independent now, so he can read it on his own, um, but he usually asks one of us to read with him, um, and we still do because he's still pretty young. Um, but, you know, there are mornings when Ben's out of the house really early, and it's on me, um, and there are mornings when Ben lets me stay in bed until after seven, which is amazing. And then it's all on him. So we kind of just do what the morning calls for. Um, but yeah, it's, it's either way. Um, but honestly, it's not a long process because they're little and their attention spans are small. So even when it's all on me or it's all on Ben and then one the same person has to go and make breakfast, you know, it... it's still a pretty short process because their attention spans are not long enough to, you know, do 30 minutes of deep Bible study. So I think we can close with a word of prayer. Or was there another question? We'll just do the drawing. Oh, right. But you can close with prayer first. Okay. Okay. Dearest Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for modeling what healthy relationships look like by sending your son to show us how much you love us. So I pray as we strive to better model that love to our kids, help us to connect with the God who is defined by love. In your name, amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.